Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. We're glad you can join us as Pastor Dane Skelton shares a weekly message to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Dane. If you would like to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2 again, 1 Peter chapter 2. We're in a series called Rebuilding the Sacred Community, and this is part two. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, a royal priesthood, a royal priesthood. Steve Shogren is a pastor in Cincinnati, Ohio, but he told this story about his first house when he and his wife were first married and living in California. He said, not long after we moved in, my wife Janie and I picked up on the tension between a couple of our neighbors. One was a very outspoken churchgoer, while the other was an unbeliever. I knew I was in the hot seat when the unchurched man struck up a conversation with me as we were both working in our yards. Say, Steve, aren't you a pastor? It seems implicit in the public's understanding that pastors exist to serve as referees in times of conflict. I have a man like this in my neighborhood. He, he talks to me and wants me to solve conflicts. So I reluctantly listened as this troubled man opened up about the neighbor he'd never understood. And he unfolded a long history of numerous conflicts over small issues. And then he looked up and he sighed and he said, but the most recent one takes the cake. We received a letter from, our, from his attorney threatening to sue us if we don't trim a tree that borders his yard. It just seems strange to us that he didn't come over and ask me to take care of the tree before he went to an attorney. And with a little wink, this streetwise, unchurched man said, You know, I was getting ready to trim that tree, but now there's no way I'm going to touch it. I'm, going to do, I'm not going to do anything until he forces me, because I will gladly go to court just so I can have a story to tell about being sued by Christians over an orange tree. And he summarized his thoughts with this. He said, I guess sometimes Christians love us. They just don't like us very much. Now, if that story makes you cringe, it's probably because of one of three things or maybe all three. Number one, we know Christians who have behaved like that. Number two, we are Christians who behave like that. <laughs> or number three, we know there's some place in the Bible that tells us we shouldn't behave like that. So the passage that we're studying today is one of those passages. And it's in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. Let's read it together. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It says one of the most unusual things about Christians that you'll find in the whole Bible, and that is that we are a royal priesthood. 
And I say it's unusual because most of us don't think of ourselves that way at all. At least I don't think of myself that way. And I have friends who are actual priests. When I think of a priest, I think of robes and vestments and altars and candles and collars and confessionals and formal liturgies. That's what I think of when I think of a priest. But I definitely don't think of myself. But Peter had some particularly important things in mind when he said this, and it will help us as we go about rebuilding the sacred community together to get a grip on these and to apply them as best we can. So I'm going to tap my inner Baptist and do some alliteration today. I've got three R's for you. Number one, the residence of the priesthood. Number two, the role of the priesthood. And number three, the responsibilities of the priesthood. So let's get into it. The residence of the priesthood. Now, I don't want to make too much of this because I leaned on it last week. But when you think about these three metaphors that he's using here together, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the people belonging to God, you realize that they all have something in common. There's, all, there's an assumption about location that they all have in common. When we think about doctors, let's do it this way. When you think about doctors, where do you expect to find them? In a doctor's office, right? When you think about teachers, where do you expect to find teachers? In a classroom, in a school. When you think about priests, where do you expect to find them? In a place of worship, right? Right. When we think about, so that's the, when we're thinking about priests. Now let's, let's, trans, let, let's go over to his other metaphor. When you think about a nation, a holy nation. Um, when you think about Britons, where do you expect to find them? Most of the time. In the UK, in the British Isles, within their national borders. When you think about the Japanese, where do you expect to find them? In the Japanese islands, within their national borders. When we think about sports fans, so okay, we've gone from royal, we're, we're doing three different metaphors here, okay? Priesthood, nation, now we're going to talk about people. When we think about sports fans, we think of them as what? A holy people, that is, they're set aside for one team, dedicated to declaring the praises of their team, right? So in that sense, they are a holy people. Where do you expect to find them? Well, if you're a Duke fan, do you find the Cameron Crazies in Cameron Indoor Stadium? Not this year. And if you're an indoor, if you're a, a Green Bay Packers fan, where do you expect to find them? Lambeau Field, right? If that, and you're a cheesehead. <laughs> That's what what they call their holy people, cheeseheads. And if you were a Dale Earnhardt Jr. fan before he retired and you were part of Junior Nation, where would you be found on a Sunday afternoon? At a NASCAR track. I always wanted to go to Talladega, Alabama, and I never went. So when you think about a holy nation, where would you expect to find it? In a church on a Sunday morning. When we think about Christians, we expect to find them in a local church somewhere at least once a week. And you can tell how significant 
this is and our gathering together in local assemblies is, when you look at it from a financial perspective, especially when it comes to managing risks in healthcare. Several Christian healthcare sharing organizations sprang up over the last 30 years to help Christians handle the risks and the costs associated with healthcare. All of them have one thing in common. They have several things in common, but at least this in common. And that is every member of the sharing plan, if you become a member of that sharing plan, you commit to attend worship services in a designated local church. You, be, you commit to become a member, a functioning, active member in a designated local church. And I think the number is at least twice a month. It may be a little bit more. And I know that because all of them require the pastor to verify the membership of people who are in those, in those sharing plans. And we have several people who are. So you see the implication about this, right? Like insurance companies, these ministries watch actuarial tables very carefully. So mathematically, statistically, they know that people who actually commit so far that they will attend a church service to function as a Christian and according to Christian moral biblical principles, that those people actually are healthier and so they are a lower risk than the general population. Now, of course, the church is not, a, is not a physical building. It doesn't need a physical building to be a church. But it is a gathering. It is always a gathering. The Greek word is ekklesia, the called out ones of God, of God's people. It's a gathering of God's people in a local place on a regular basis. So let's ask the obvious questions here. Number one, are you part of the royal priesthood? If you're a born-again believer in Christ, yes, you are. Where are you offering up praises and sacrifices on Sunday morning? Are you part of the holy nation? Where would someone look to find you when that nation is gathering? Are you part of a people who belong to God? Would the other people who belong to God be able to certify that if somebody asked? Now, can I tell you how uncomfortable I am asking you guys those questions? I'm extremely uncomfortable. I don't like for preachers to lean on me and I don't like doing it to you. But something greater than my personal comfort and your personal autonomy is at stake. Did you happen to see that the, I hope you got to watch the documentary about Justice Clarence Thomas. That documentary explains how he went from an angry, uh, racially motivated socialist becoming a communist as a young man to becoming a serious Christian conservative because of what God did in his life and his commitment to his church. And did you also hear that Amazon just pulled that documentary? Did you hear the, about uh, the actor and conservative Christian Kevin Sorbo, who had 500,000 followers on Facebook? 
and he was known for posting conservative things on his Facebook posts and Christian things on his Facebook posts. Facebook just closed his account without any warning. Rod Dreher's predictions in his book, his predictions about soft totalitarianism in his book, Live Not By Lies, are playing out right before our eyes. And if the Federal Equality Act passes, it will no longer be soft. And the church in America is entering a time of great trouble and trial. And the faith of those who are not vitally connected to a local body of believers won't survive. So I urge you to think deeply about these things and to make the decision to reconnect if you are disconnected. And I know that, I know, you know, we all know about COVID, but the vaccines are here. In fact, I'm getting my vaccine this week. I don't know how you feel about vaccines. I'm a big believer in vaccines. I grew up with uh, people who were victims of polio in the 1950s and whose lives were affected by it permanently. And so I'm a big believer in vaccines. That vaccine came along right before I was born. And I'm really, really glad it was. So the vaccines are here and they're accessible and um, becoming more so. And I just want to encourage you, if COVID is keeping you away from gathering with your local assembly, whether it's this one or anyone else, go get the vaccine and go back to church. Because you need your fellow believers and they need you, especially in this time. Okay, as Howard Hendricks used to say, that's too convicting. So let's go on to number two, the role of the priesthood. A priest has multiple roles. A priest represents people to God, number one. A priest represents people to God. Now Jesus, our high priest, has done that for us. He has gone into the heavenly heavenlies, into the holy of holies, in the heavenly temple. He has made a sacrifice once for all of himself, opening the way for all of us to be able to go to God at any moment, at any time. And as Hebrews says, receive grace for help in our time of need. Our sins are taken care of. We are given the righteousness of Christ. We have imputed righteousness, as the uh, theologians like to say. And so we can go before God at any time because Christ has represented us before God as our high priest. Number two, a priest intercedes for others. That's just a fancy way of saying he prays for others. He appeals and applies to God, to the heavenly heavenlies, to, to the throne room of God for other people. In the Old Testament period, God's people had a priesthood. In the New Testament, God's people are a priesthood. And so we intercede for others. And because Christ is our high priest, constantly interceding for us, we can enter any time into God's presence and intercede for others. And this is part of what we're talking about when you hear, if you've ever heard the phrase, the priesthood of the believer, or the doctrine of the priesthood of believer, growing up as a Southern Baptist, we talked about that a lot. We pray for each other and for all who are in need. You don't need a priest to pray for you. You are a priest, and you have the privilege of praying for others. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't need each other to pray for each other in our local churches. We do, and it's helpful, but you just need to know that you can approach God's throne anytime because you are a priest and you have that privilege as a member of the body of Christ. If you're a serious believer 
And folks in your workplace or other spheres of influence, they know this. You've probably had an experience something like this. Someone will be in need or they'll be sick or a family member will be. And they'll come to you in private and they'll say, um, would you pray for me? Because I know you've kind of got it in with the man upstairs. And, and I just kind of wondered if you would pray for me. Because they know instinctively that you can do that for them. But the thing we need to remember is that no priest ever operated alone. They were part of a team and they all operated together in the temple. So Peter was not encouraging the individualism that is so common in American Christian, quote unquote, spirituality today. Warren Wiersbe wrote, we are priests together serving the same high priest, ministering in the same spiritual temple. So we must maintain our personal walk with God, but we must not do it at the expense of other Christians by ignoring or neglecting them. So a priest represents the people to God. A priest intercedes for others. And then finally, a priest also represents God to the people. A priest represents God to the people. That's the third role of a priest. Peter says, God has made us a kingdom of priests, so everyone who is part of the invisible community called the church universal is a priest. That means we represent God to the people in our spheres of influence. And so what I'm trying to say is this role of representing God to our communities is not limited to the pastor. It's not limited to the preacher. All of us have the privilege and the opportunity of representing God, however we are able to do it, to others in our spheres of influence. Let me read you something that somebody wrote, um, a quote about, about how Christians often behave. It's um, Jan Johnson wrote this. Many believers are rabbit hole Christians. In the morning, they pop out of their safe Christian homes, hold their breath at work, scurry home to their families, and then off to their Bible studies, and finally end the day praying for the unbelievers they safely avoided all day. You know, that's not our job. Our job is to engage. Our job is to go places. Uh, Jamie was talking about in the Sunday school class earlier this morning about how FCC's founding pastor, Jim Cofield, really wanted to spend time with this guy who was a truck driver. And he kept trying to make time with the guy, but he, he was working all the time. And so Jim decided to go, I'm just going to go ride in the truck with him. I'll help him do what he does. He was a beer truck driver. And so here you've got the preacher of this brand new evangelical church in a very conservative, fundamentalist kind of county riding around in a beer truck with the guy because he, he wanted to be a priest to him. And that's how he got to him. Wherever we are, we can serve as priests. We can represent God to the people in our community. The Apostle Paul used a different metaphor. It means the same thing. He said we are ambassadors of reconciliation. You can find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. So we are influences and representatives of the kingdom. God wanted his people, said Warren Wiersbe, his people Israel, to become a kingdom of priests. And in Exodus 19.6, God explained to them that they were to be a spiritual influence on the nations around them. 
That was part and parcel of why God called Israel out and said, you're my chosen people. You're going to live completely differently from all the nations around you. And I want you to represent the kingdom of God to the nations around you. But Israel failed. And instead of becoming a positive influence on the godless nations around them, Israel imitated those nations instead and lost their place. God disciplined them many times, says Wearsby, for their idolatry, but they persisted in sin, and today Israel has no temple or priesthood. As strangers on this earth, chosen strangers, the world would prefer it if we would just stay in our church buildings, or even better, stay home and share what we believe about God and life and shalom with just each other and never talk about it out in the world. But that's not our calling, and it's not our prerogative to make that choice. Jesus said, I'm sending you into the world to make disciples of the whole world, to represent God to the whole world, teaching them everything I have taught you, baptizing them and teaching them everything to obey that I've taught you. We're supposed to be an influence publicly to the whole world. That's part of our role as royal priesthood, as a royal priesthood. Why do we know that? Well, one of the reasons we know that is here in verses 9 and 10. Peter says, you are to declare the praises, declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Uh, another way to translate that word is declaring the excellencies of God to the world. And declare means to tell out, to advertise because the world is in the dark. People need to know the excellencies of God. One of the only places where you find that, oh, don't let me get ahead of myself. So God has called us to be a kingdom of priests, a nation of people who tell out or advertise the excellencies of God. Why? No one can know that they are in the darkness unless somebody holds up a light. No one wants mercy until they know they need it. And no one can receive mercy until it's been offered. And that's our role as ambassadors. That's our role as a royal priesthood to make it known and to offer it. But that's becoming more difficult in part because of the way the world has changed and because of the way the church has changed. The world used to see the church as something to be respected or admired or at least avoid it if your conscience was bothering you. But things have changed. In the world, the world now sees the church as either, number one, irrelevant. It's something to be ignored. Number two, corrupt. It's something to be accused. Number three, bigoted. Something to be exposed. Or number four, political. Something to be crushed. That is not how God sees the church. God sees us as ambassadors for reconciliation with the world to, from the, the world to God and God to the world. The, the way the church sees the church has also changed. The church often sees itself as the buildings, something to own and to boast about. Or a business, something to run for a profit. Or maybe a production company something that usually sells music and books. Or a comfort station, something to just make us feel good once a week. 
or sermons, something to either entertain us or to sleep through. I hope you're not sleeping this morning. But the way God sees the church has not changed. The way God sees the church is not like the world or even like some church members see it at all. God sees the church as a holy nation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood who declare his excellencies out to the world, who advertise his goodness to the world. God says we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Verse 9 is a collection of several phrases about the way God used to describe Israel in the Old Testament. So let's talk about the responsibilities of the royal priesthood. Verse 9 is a collection of several phrases God used to describe Israel in the Old Testament. So chosen people, that's in the Old Testament. Royal priesthood, that's in the Old Testament. Holy nation, people belonging to God. Those are all phrases from the Old Testament. The church is not national Israel, but it does play the same role in today's world, and that is to declare the praises. Praises is a Greek word to declare the excellencies, is a Greek word used only four times in the New Testament. It's here in second in Second Peter, and it's here in First Peter chapter two, and then it's in Second Peter chapter one, and then it's in Philippians four verse eight. That's the one we're most familiar with, I think. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, anything praiseworthy, think about these things. So the most, most important of all is telling the excellent things God has done for everyone in Jesus Christ in giving us mercy and grace and forgiveness and salvation in and through His Son. That's the most important thing that we can do. But we need to keep doing it publicly. And we need to look for the opportunities to do it. And that means that our lives have to match up with who we say we are or who God says we are. So let me close with this. I told you before that I've been getting great benefit from listening to Alistair Begg on the Truth For Light program. He was in a series from Proverbs called Wise Words in this past week. And he gave a perfect illustration of what it means to live like a priest before a watching world and the opportunities that that can create. He was talking about the proverb, a gentle answer turns away wrath, and he said, he said, in my 50 years, I can only think of one, to my shame, I can only think of one situation where I actually did this. He said, so I'm not telling you this to be self-serving. It's a judgment on me. It takes far more to respond in gentleness than it does to give way to unbridled passion and anger. He said, it all happened 10 or 12 years ago. We had traveled to the Adirondack Mountains to go to a summer camp where we spend every summer. He said, as we arrived, we're going into the town on this occasion. I noticed a sign on the side of the road that said, Donuts and hot dogs, and I made a mental note. He said, I got up early the next morning and made my way out, drawn by the allure of the sign, he said. And because we had traveled 450 miles the previous day, I gathered up all the rubbish. He's Scottish. 
He said, I gathered up all the rubbish that was in the car from the trip. It was extensive. <laughs> and as much as my hands could hold, and then I got out of the car and I worked my way into this small building to the donut lady and the donut man who were immediately on my left. There's a trash bin on my right. And I just went right to the trash bin and started putting my trash in the trash bin from my car. And the donut lady yelled out, hey, what are you doing? He said, well, I was just, he said, don't put your stuff in there. That's just for donut trash. If you've got other trash, it goes in the trash can down there. And he said, so you know that this was a crisis in my life that is looming right here. Because I have already processed a number of places that I could tell her where this garbage could be put. <laughs> and he said, somehow, maybe because I was tired, I don't know if it was the grace of God, but somehow or other, I said, I just said, oh, okay. He said, now, the reason I remember this is it never happens to me. He's always quick with a response. So I went down and I put it in the big drum that was down at the end and I came back. I said, okay, right. So, you know, a cinnamon donut, large coffee. And then the next day and the next day and before you know it, a week was out. And he said, we didn't have an intimate relationship, but we were at least civil with each other. And he said, now 10 years have elapsed. And Thursday, as I got ready to leave, I couldn't leave without my cinnamon donut. So I had a cinnamon donut and a large coffee in the New York Times. And I was sitting outside on an old picnic table and it was hot. And she came outside and she talked to me. You know, there's something you could do for me. What's that? She said, could you pray to God that my son would be reconciled to his wife? I said, well, I would be privileged to do that. She said, because I've been praying to St. Anthony and he is really slow off the mark. Nothing is happening at all. And he said, the opportunity to break through that crusty religious frame was not generated as a result of some slick methodology, but actually was 10 years in the making. Because in the mercy of God, I didn't tell her where to stick the garbage. God says we are priests. When people need a priest, they know where to find them. Or they should. And they know a role, the role a priest plays. And they know their responsibilities. And they're looking for somebody who's going to accurately represent God to them. Are we ready? Do we know our roles and are we ready to play them? Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, so much for this word. It's encouraging. It's, um, it's a bit of a rebuke. But thank you so much that you have called us to this. And I personally thank you, Lord, that it's not just me. It's not just guys that have my, my job. It's all of us. Father, please help us in these difficult days to remember that we don't just stand in a school or in a business 
or in a profession, that we stand all the time, whether we can see it in our mind's eye or not, we stand all the time as royal priests in the great holy of holies, the great heavenly temple. So that no matter who we're dealing with or what we're doing, we always represent you. Help us, Father, help that not to be a fearful thing for us, but a joyful privilege to us. A place of great security and confidence. So that no matter where we go, we will always be affirmed and confident in that role. Help us, Father, to play our roles well. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at FCCSobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.